The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I am Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. It is time, guys, for the annual bi-week extravaganza. What, what does that mean exactly? Well, it means it's the bi-week, so we don't have a game to preview, but it also means that we can take some time to look around the AFC South a little more. We're obviously going to recap the Titans' big win against the Chiefs. And we're going to have a little bit of fun, too. Uh, we're, we're going to play a couple of games. First, we're going to do some Titans trivia. Uh, that, that That's always fun because we're three people that I would consider all of us Titans experts. And so it's interesting to <laughs> pick very niche questions and, and see who can figure them out. And then we're also going to uh, reveal before we get to stop the nonsense of the week, we're going to reveal uh, our own worst take from the preseason. So be, be thinking about guys, your, your choice for that, the, the worst take or, or belief you had heading into the season. But before all of that, we are going to recap the Titans Big-time win over the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, let's start with the field goal block. Will, you were in the stands. What was it like from there? It it was very strange because you have to understand, first of all, that it was predominantly Kansas City fans in the stadium, which was its own thing. So you're sitting in a stand where – some of the fans don't want to win because they either don't like Tannehill or they want a draft pick or whatever. Then you have some people who are living in the moment. They're so excited to see if this game's going to go to overtime. And then you've got Kansas City fans who are furious that it's gotten to this point. So the the ball snapped, Kalu blocks it, and the crowd erupts. It doesn't matter where, like what you were thinking before, like whether you were pro or for it whether you wouldn't lose or 
whatever you wanted, it didn't matter at that point. You were just excited that there was an exciting play for the Titans. But the weird thing is the Jumbotron for the Titans showed that there was a flag on the field. That they can't, oh, there's oh, a yellow box. Is, is that what happened? Because when it happened, yeah. someone sitting someone sitting behind me goes, "Oh, there's a flag. Hold up a second. Yeah. So there's there's the yellow flag on the bottom right pops up, and I'm thinking it's unsportsmanlike conduct or something because watching it, you know, and we know this now. Kalu was not off sides. He didn't look off sides live. If you're in the stadium, the angle you were looking at may have made it look that way, but they'd been getting a great jump on it all day, and so it didn't look any different. So I was like, well, we weren't off sides. So now I was thinking, did somebody line up over the long snapper and hit him? And is it going to be one of those things or what happened? And then I'm listening to Mike Keith in my ear and he he's like, you know, there's a flag. And then he's like, about like, he's like, uh, like I don't see it or so, it's something to that effect. And then the ref comes over the announcer and says like, uh, no, oh no, sorry. The ref didn't come over. The PA system like kicked in and, they were like the game's over, like the Titans or the Titans had the ball. So, something to the effect of, you know, it's essentially over, and the refs just kind of walked off the field. So, it, it, there was no real celebration. I for didn't, like there wasn't a flag, seconds. was there? I didn't see one. No, and no, it's, it's, there was no conference or anything like that. I think what happened is Kansas City has so many like yellow gloves and cleats uh, that I think one of those got like seen out of the corner of somebody's eye and they just assume a flag was coming out. So they hit that button and then it confused everybody else in the stadium. But I mean, I wasn't at the Philadelphia game. I had a family trip I was on last year, but I have to imagine it was very similar. It was maybe as loud as the 99 yard touchdown run by Derrick Henry or the stop that the Titans had of the chargers where like when we finally realized that there was a fumble recovered by Jarrell Casey, you know, like it was one of those moments where like, it doesn't matter how loud it was before it instantly gets cranked up by a hundred percent. It was very intense. Yeah. I wish I could have been there. That, that seemed like such an awesome moment. And uh, it was just such an amazing play by Josh Kalu. Uh, every, every time I look at it, it just kind of gets better and better just timing the snap, getting that amazing jump on the ball, and then, you know, it's 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 kind of tough sometimes to even make contact with the ball when you're diving and you're not totally looking at, at, at uh, where, where your hands are placed. So it, that is just such an incredible athletic play, uh, and it was fantastic. What a, what a way to end what was really one of the better games that we've seen, uh, what, one of the best Titans games we've seen in a really long time. Absolutely, and we now know that the reason Kalu was able to block the kick was because he and, and several others on that special teams unit had Kansas City's snap cadence figured out. And when you go back and watch it, it it's pretty obvious that the punter, uh, Dustin Colquitt, or is it Britain? Or is Britain? What, I don't know. It's one Dustin. Of the Col- one of the Colquitts, the yeah, one that wins they in Tennessee. Just, just mumble. Did they, they both all went Tennessee. Did they both? Okay, yeah, that's right. The whole family did. The Chiefs Colquitt. Uh, would look back at Harrison Butker, the kicker, and then when he turned his eyes back to the long snapper, that's when that was the cue to snap the ball. Every single time. And according to Kalu, this was something that the Chiefs have been doing in the past because he knew about this going into the game. This wasn't something that he just figured out. And so my question to that is, and Kalu did say he had never seen this before in the NFL, Whoever is in charge of like quality control special teams, 
has to go. Like that seems like malpractice to me. For the Chiefs, I agree. I, I agree, uh, but it, it's funny because the Chiefs' special teams coordinator, special teams coach, is one of the most revered coaches in the entire league. People love him. Uh, it's been a couple years already. People have been saying that he deserves a head coaching job. And I don't know if they're right or wrong, but if this is your unit, if this is your unit and this happens and this has been happening for a while, apparently, according to Kalu, because apparently this is this is like on tape. I'm sure other teams know about it. It's just it's like you said, it's coaching malpractice, but it's kind of just I don't know if it's arrogance, but it's definitely negligence. Uh, and And the fact that that they didn't change this. They didn't think it'd be a problem at any point, uh, at any point in the season, any point in the future. is It's just shocking to me. Uh, but it, it all worked out in the end, and we're lucky it worked out on the uh, on the last play of the game. Yeah, it, it's something that everybody talks about a lot, but nobody really like enforces. Is that you need to be able to self scout. It's just something that like everybody says is just kind of a buzzword, but that's a very clear example of the Chiefs not self-scouting a part of the offense, or I guess a part of this, you know, whole game, special teams, but uh, just part of their game that is a clear flaw that they had that basically lost them a game. I mean, you know, it would have just tied the game or whatever, but, uh, you know, three points in that situation was obviously huge and it cost them that. So yeah, I mean, I don't know what a a special teams quality, you know, assistant or quality coordinator or whatever their, their official title is, but I don't know what their job is or whoever's underneath Taub or Tobe or whoever, however you say his name, whoever that, whoever has that job currently, you know, I don't know if they need to be fired, but like you really need to understand. It's like, okay, if this is your job, this is something you see every single day when you go through your cutups. Like, identify this. Like, do your job correctly. So, they I, mean, also... I, I was going to say, it's not that hard, but I mean, I guess it is that hard because if not, you would assume there would have been more blocked kicks by now if the other 31 teams are doing right. their job. So maybe it's just that the Titans are paying attention to stuff that other teams aren't. Yeah. They also botched the snap, which led to another missed field goal. Well, not missed, but they couldn't even kick the field goal. And uh, the most blatant intentional grounding penalty since Tom yeah. Brady in the Super Bowl. Yeah. yeah, and they also at one point I think it was Hardman. He was returning punts. He caught. He fair caught a punt at like at the, the three. three. Uh, okay, that was it's insane. interesting. It's interesting that y'all bring that up because the Chiefs fans beside me were like. That's like the one guy said the same thing. He said, like, why would you fair catch that at the three? And he was like, the the coaches tell him to do that at certain points in the game. Like he said that after the game. And I'm like, is that true? And I, didn't, I haven't done any follow up. But one fan in the stand who wasn't drunk or anything like that, he seemed to, to know what he was talking about, said that he'd been on record saying that sometimes they just tell him to go out there and field the kick wherever it is. And I mean, I guess that was true i mean the more we talk about this why is this tube guy like the special teams god in some people's eyes i mean i mean that's an objectively bad special teams yeah with with all due respect it's because matt miller has said his name a bunch of times yeah like right right i mean like i'm not trashing matt miller i'm just saying like when people when you ask somebody who they think is in line for a you know head coaching job in the future 
and one guy says it a lot and everybody asks that guy over and over again who's been right sometimes and wrong sometimes but I mean if he's hearing from people or if you know he's close to the Kansas City team and and hears that they that Tobe's a good coach like if you keep seeing that name year in and year out even though he doesn't ever get a head coaching job you're gonna think he's a great coach but part of it also is just because Dorsey when he was their general manager just didn't care about character and his whole thing was get me the fastest guys and most athletic guys on the field and that's how they ended up with Tyreek Hill who can you know make up for a lot of wrongs Mm -hmm. um yeah I just I, I don't know what to think about all of that because as you as you guys alluded to, it, it's all kind of bad. And on the converse, every time that, that Vrabel was asked today and yesterday, today being Monday, uh, about the Titans on special teams, he raved about the effort and, and every play. It's, it's trying to figure out some way to get an edge. And you know what? Ever since Mike Malarkey fired Bobby April in the middle of the season a few years ago, that really has been a staple of the Titans, quality special teams play. I mean, every now and then, as with every team, you're going to get a busted coverage or, or, or something to happen that, that that makes you wonder if things are, are going the right way. But, I mean, I mean, ever since Bobby April got fired and then they went out and got Brendan Trawick and, and Darren Bates in free agency, it's been a really good unit. And I think yesterday... Uh, really proved that. Chris Milton came back yesterday. He's missed several games with a calf injury, and he's a really good special teams player. He is player. a I mean, just, stud. Yeah. I mean, I mean just, the, just go ahead, Well, I mean, it's just top to, the bo- top to bottom. They're really good on special teams. Yeah, except I the kicker. Some Chris Milton. Yeah, except any of the kickers we've tried. Um, Chris Milton is maybe the best gunner the Titans have had in a decade. I mean, he is always the first one to beat his, you know, the guys blocking him. And then he's always the first one down. And it doesn't matter what angle he gets, whether it's Miko Hardman or whoever it is, but he tackles guys like, and they're down. There is no like spinning out of contact. There's no missed tackles. There's no running way out of bounds and then running yourself out of place. I mean, he does it textbook perfect to the point where yesterday I suggested that the Titans put him out there in some sort of like six man defensive package just because just to try to get somebody who could tackle Tyreek Hill even if you knew he couldn't hang with him because of how bad the missed tackles were hurting Titans. Which, but, now I'm glad you mentioned that Will. Dory Jackson is usually a really good form tackler so that was an yeah. uncharacteristic performance yesterday. Yeah, weird. Yeah like it, with I looked this up a while ago, and I wish I had the stat in front of me. He's one of the best performing tackling corners in the NFL. Like, really, there was a because I mean, I, I remember in Leonard Fournette's rookie season. I guess that would have been a Dory's rookie season too. I, I know we make our jokes about Leonard Fournette, but he is a tough guy to tackle, and a Dory was like bringing him down one on one in the open field. Yeah, yeah. Adori is not afraid of contact. Like, there's times where they'll be like pulling like tight ends, fullbacks, or whatever, and he's not afraid to. You know, it's called sticking your nose in the fan when you yeah. have to like run directly into a guy who's like pulling to block you or trying to get out in front of a screen. Like, if he knows that his job on that play is to eat that block, he's not afraid to do it. If he knows that he's the one who's supposed to make a tackle, I mean. That, that's the thing is yesterday he was willing and in position to make the tackles. It's just Tyreek Hill is so slippery and so electric that even when he was in good position initially, he couldn't finish the plays, which 
we've seen a million people do in the past. But, you know, not not Milton, you know, going back to special teams. It also helps that the Titans have brought in, you know, I, I think, what is it, the leading kick returner last year and then and Darius Jennings and then Khalif Raymond, whose first return this year was for 40 yards or something. So, I mean, they're, they're identifying guys with return skills and, you know, ability that goes beyond what they might be able to bring on the offensive side of the ball, which is usually something you just hear about late in the draft with people when they're like, well, we're going to draft a corner because he might make our special teams, but they never do. Yeah. They're just corners. And, and this is the last thing I want to say about this because I'm sure listeners don't want to hear us talk about special teams for an hour, but the, like you said, Will, special teams isn't for the Titans like a – well, this is where our depth players are just going to have to play. No, their depth players like are special teamers. Like they bring in guys to play those those spots. That's why they claimed Milton off of waivers. It's why they drafted David Long in the seventh round. It's why Cruikshanks on this team. Yeah, John Robinson really placed an emphasis on on special teams over the past couple of seasons, and I, I think it's it, it's an aspect that that's forgotten about a lot. And it's probably not placed, not a lot of emphasis is placed on it uh, by a lot of teams. But but it it is so crucial, uh, especially. I mean, do you guys remember how bad the special teams coverage was just a couple years ago under Malarkey? It was That's we were saying. giving up ever since they fired Bobby April. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, it was. We were giving up 40, 40, 50 yard returns almost like every other play. It was so so frustrating. And I mean, we still have some issues. The punt returns haven't been, they haven't been bad, actually. Humphreys has been pretty solid back there, uh, although he doesn't give you too much, um, too much dynamism. But, but honestly, it's better than, than uh, uh, retreating back into the end zone a la Cameron Batson last year. Uh, but, <laughs> or any, any Adoree Jackson punt return ever, really. So <laughs> that's not too bad. The kicking is atrocious, but. Like you said, the, the the punt coverage and kick coverage coverage has been really really good, and, and it's crucial uh, in today's NFL to to not give uh, teams good field position to start with. Let's get to a much sexier topic and talk about the quarterback, <laughs> uh, Ryan Tannehill, undefeated in his career at Nissan Stadium, one and zero as a Dolphin, three and zero as a Titan. He only threw for 180 yards. Uh, yesterday but as I've said to multiple people over the last 24 hours or so I think from the eye test that was the game of his life I mean he put the Titans on his back and as Matias and I were talking about before the show that's the first time that a Titans quarterback has really done that since Mariota in that wild card game would, would y'all agree with that yes yeah I mean I think I think you have to I mean, just Tannehill played exceptionally well yesterday, and I'm not going to make this a Mariota comparison or anything like that, but, I mean, his quarterback play, not the play calling or the receivers or the execution or anything like that, Ryan Tannehill is why the Titans offense scored four touchdowns yesterday with some help from Derrick Henry. We'll get to him in a little bit. Hmm. Uh, but, But Tannehill played his mind out yesterday, I thought. He was very good, incredibly efficient, and I think the the thing that stood out the most to me, I mean, we've known he, we've always known he's athletic and, and he can run the ball, but his runs yesterday were so so important. Uh, one of them was on third and ten, 
Uh, he had another long one. I'm not sure if it was on third down, but um, he, he went for like 15 yards or so or 18 yards or something like that. And then that two-point conversion to just get in there, lower your shoulder, and just drive through the defender to get that crucial uh, two-point conversion. I mean, that's that's exactly what you want from your quarterback. It's something we've seen from Titans quarterbacks in the past. We saw it from Steve McNair. We saw it from Vince Young from time to time. We saw it from Mariota, like you said, in that playoff game and, and in, in the game against the Jaguars back in, uh, back in 2017. So I think it's cool that the Titans kind of have that that claim to fame from their quarterbacks being hard nosed and and always uh, always fighting, always putting in the extra effort. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I agree. Tannehill has kind of stabilized the offense a little bit with with his decent to uh, above average play. Yesterday he was he was probably more than above average. He he nearly went toe to well he kind of did go toe to toe with Mahomes. Uh, mm-hmm. Although I will say, if it wasn't for Derrick Henry, we wouldn't have won that game anyway. But uh, I do, I do like what Tannehill has done. This is kind of my worst nightmare because I think we're, uh, I feel like we're about to give him. Some we're gonna have extension. the discussion in just a minute, so get get your thoughts yeah. ready. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean Tannehill, like it's it's weird because, and this is not Mario to apology something like that, but until like outside of the one deep shot to Raymond. I don't think until the fourth quarter there was on, there was anything more than one uh, target to a wide receiver. I think the majority of the game was throwing the ball to uh, the tight ends, which worked. I mean, don't get me wrong, but the Chiefs were without – and I, some of this is game plan, I know. It, but there was one target to Khalif Raymond and one target to Tajay Sharp in the first half, and those were the only targets to wide receivers in the entire first half. So, I mean – that's something that we've killed, you know, past quarterbacks for is being so too tight end reliant and all that. And when Tannehill came in initially, it was, you know, now the uptick from in production from wide receivers is up seventy two percent of the offense instead of forty eight or whatever. And those Adam Humphreys is involved. Yeah, and so like at the end of the day, I think, I think uh, Raymond had one catch, uh, Tajay had one catch. A.J. Brown had one catch, and Adam Humphreys had one catch. And those are four different receivers with one catch each, and that was all the production from the wide receivers. So on one hand, like I don't like the idea of going back to a tight end-focused offense. I think the Titans were generally more explosive when they were throwing to their wide receivers. But you know, if that's the open target and he's hitting them, then I don't care. Like It's, it's a good job by him if – on this particular day, they decided that that's where he should go with the ball, and he, you know, he didn't fight it or struggle against it or anything. He just embraced it and was able to target guys like Anthony Ferkser and Johnny Smith, who had a really nice call, a really nice screen that got called back, but had another crucial like third down conversion. And he he did a lot of good stuff. So, I guess the the long story short of that is is you know. Tannehill's playing great, and even though it's not always as exciting, there's a reason why we all think that this was his best game, even though it wasn't necessarily his most quote-unquote productive. And that's because he did what he needed to do, and the run Matias is talking about is uh, it was either the first or the second play after the intentional grounding on the botched field goal. Uh, He runs for 15 yards up the left side of the field, and 
instantly gets the Titans in position for, you know, a quick Anthony Ferkser pass and then a pass to Adam Humphreys that, you know, he took to the end zone. So, I mean, that run mattered in a game where you had 40 seconds left on the clock and no timeouts. Okay, a, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was after Tannehill's first game against the Chargers, <clears throat> excuse me, we we had the discussion, regardless of Tannehill's performance, do you still draft a quarterback if you're the Titans? Since then, Tannehill has gone essentially only one interception in four games that was his fault, as you pointed out last night, Will. Uh, won three out of four games, all of them at home. Uh, been a big improvement, obviously, for Mariota. And in terms of the NFL draft, Joe Burrow's stock has skyrocketed. Justin Herbert's stock, Jacob Fromm's stock has, has sort of plummeted a little bit. So I'll repose this question that just three or four weeks ago we said no to. If Tannehill plays well and, let's say, leads them to a winning record, do you extend him or franchise tag? I think at this point, regardless, I franchise tag him. Because, I mean, you you don't know who you're going to get in the offseason. Like, you can, if you're head over heels for Jacob Eason, there's always the chance that the team that picks before you takes him. I Yeah, I think the franchise tag is probably the, the move right now. I don't think I'd feel comfortable extending him at all just because I've seen I've seen him in the past I know what Tannehill is I know he looks better this year than he, than he has in previous years but I just don't know exactly what his ceiling is uh I I I, I don't know it's really tough for me but um I think the franchise tag is the right move a long extension especially given that he's already 31 years old probably isn't the right idea the the thing is, I have no idea where we're going to draft. I have no idea what our position in the draft is going to be, and I don't know who's going to be available. So, and also, I haven't looked at quarterbacks yet, so I, I don't know if it's worth drafting a. Well, Herbert's probably not going to be there, like you said, drafting a Jacob Eason, drafting a Jordan Love, uh, in the in the in the teens to twenties. I don't know if that if that up quote unquote upside is even there with that. Yeah, I mean, okay, so I think <laughs> I think at the very least Tannehill has to be on the roster next year. Yeah, I don't know how you have to do it. I don't know if it's a two year deal like the Brissett deal where it's mostly twenty twenty loaded, and then you have twenty twenty one that's like you know kind of a fake you know, basically a team option where they can just decide to trade him or do whatever they want. But at the very least, you know that he has value to you. He's shown enough in the last, and and I guess this is, you know, assuming that he continues on this or at least close to this kind of trajectory for the rest of the year. But, you know, if you don't keep him, you're going to like hamper what you can do in free agency because you're going to have to be mindful of keeping, you know, your comp picks, which you would assume you get a third or fourth for him because he's shown enough to where somebody who gets a top pick, whether that's Cincinnati or whether that's, you know, uh, I guess the other one is Miami, even though they have Fitzpatrick already, but you know, like I, I can't, I can you know, I'd, don't want to say I can't imagine them bringing back Tannehill, but at the same time, like, 
I don't know. That's that's a conversation for a different time. Anyway, the point is is that somebody is going to pay him to be their bridge quarterback next year, and the Titans know him. They have a need at that. They have enough money to do it. They should go ahead and do it. And then if they want to trade him later or whatever, that's fine. But he's worth more to you now than a future, you know, top one hundred compensatory pick in twenty twenty one. You know, and so, our and our first episode. We did the Mariota versus everyone else comparison. I, I don't think we have time for that today, but that might be something for after the season ends. We, we, we do that exercise with Tannehill. Because I think it'd be better than Mariota probably. And we had Mariota kind of right in the middle, inching toward being in the bottom especially, half. Especially because there have been, there's been a lot of bad quarterback play in the NFL this year. So you I'd cannot you cannot tell that me well. that Ryan Tannehill is not better than Baker Mayfield right now. Oh my God! There's no yeah for sure. There's like, no doubt. Yeah, I mean he's better than any quarterback that was drafted last year, right? He's better I mean, than Jared Goff by I mean, far. Better the, than Sam Darnold. Forget the stats. Yeah. We've watched all of Tannehill's snaps this year, and it's not even close. No. Yeah, I mean it's that. The, the, see, that's that's the whole thing is. You know, going back to where we started with this question, I think you have to draft a quarterback because, it, you know, you've got one quarterback on the roster and it's Tannehill. And he's in, he's got injury issues in the past and he's playing very reckless now because he knows he's playing for, you know, basically his NFL career. And so far it's going great and maybe it'll continue to go great and it'll never be a problem. But, you know, you want to have a guy – the way I've said it before is this is Tannehill is not the guy, but he is a guy like he is a guy who can win games for you and it may not always be pretty and he's not going to elevate everybody in your offense consistently, but there's going to be times where he hits Anthony Ferkser and you're like, wow, Anthony Ferkser is a real tight end in this league or he throws a strike to, you know, Adam Humphreys or AJ, AJ Brown or Chris, you know, Chris or uh, Corey Davis and like, he does things like that, and you're like, okay, that's what we've wanted to see from that guy. Maybe it's just because he hadn't been getting chances. So, like, he'll give you that, but it's not like he's going to be Mahomes where you can pick up any guy on undrafted free agent, you know, off the undrafted free agent pile, and he's going to make him an 800-yard receiver. So, like, what you want is you want to get a young, cheap guy behind Tannehill to learn the new system that the new offensive coordinator is going to bring in, and that way, in in 2021 or in late 2020, if you make a switch, you feel confident about about what you have, and you have another good asset in Tannehill, which is you know he's expensive, but you're only paying one expensive quarterback, and he's a really talented backup quarterback. So, I think you still have to draft one, and I would still draft one with the first pick, and I, I would probably trade up for Herbert or figure out whatever I had to do to get you know, the quarterback three, just based on how the drafts fall. But, you know, we're a long way from that. But you need another guy. I don't know, man. If, I just tend to feel like unless you can somehow get to a Tungo Vailoa or Joe Burrow, it's not worth it to get any of these guys that are so projection-based, some of them and others, just disappointing, but, you know? But it's going to be that, like that every year then. Yeah, like that's what people said about Mahomes, and that's what people said about Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson, and all. You know, it's like it, while they weren't saying that about Mariota and Jameis Winston, Sam Darnold, and Baker Mayfield, like you know, over the past few years, very rarely have the top 
quarterback or has the top quarterback been the best quarterback in that but draft? Jake Eason is not uh, who, who's the guy you mentioned another first round pick late first round pick Love. Mahomes in terms of talent right obviously uh, Jake Fromm is not Russell Wilson we also no. don't exactly have the perfect structure to bring in a rookie and hope that he's the savior of the franchise. Yeah, but at least but, they're not broken as a franchise, like when Mariota came in. No, I agree. I agree. I'm just concerned about our offense. But yeah. You know. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is like, if you get a good offensive line coach and you bring in a good offensive coordinator, like let's say you bring in Callahan with uh, Jay Gruden, who worked together in the past, you know, the Callahan's not going to get the coaching job in Washington. He's probably going to be an offensive line coach or what, or an offensive coordinator somewhere. Why not be with his buddy? Like then you get a great offensive coordinator and a great position coach at your weakest position. And now all of a sudden you've got the talent to make that work. Why not get a guy who may not be perfect? Like, you know, like we're expecting Burrow or Tagovailoa to be, but he's got talent and he's got a few things that he's good at and he's got a toolbox you can build on, but is not a complete quote unquote upside guy where it's like, yeah, you know, I know his tape's bad, but sometimes he throws the ball really far. It's like, if you take Herbert, yeah, if you take Herbert, you're like, okay, I know a guy who, I know he's a guy who can work within a structure. He won't necessarily, necessarily elevate it beyond what it is, but he's accurate. He's at least above average accurate across the board no matter where he throws. So, you know. I just just think regardless, and I don't know these players, as you said, Matias, I don't know these guys yet. Uh, I I just think that you cannot go get a Mariota 2.0 in terms of, like, leadership style. You need a dog to come in here, you know? Yeah, that that may be true, which is why it's – such a shame that Joe Burrow is doing so well because man, he would be the absolute perfect play. I mean, you get a guy from, you know, from LSU, even though he's not from, you know, Louisiana or anything, but he's got the Alabama LSU kind of name brand value in the Southeast conference kind of area, which is where the Titans are. And you know that anytime you go to a Titans game and you want them to run, they want him to run Derrick Henry 45 times. Um, and he's got the you know in your face leadership. He's not afraid to throw it. He's a classic you know mobile quarterback. Even though he rarely has to show it. like he's the guy who you know if I'm John Robinson and there's some video of him smoking weed like Laramie Tunsil had. I mean I'm trading the the first round picks for as long as you want to get up to get him. Let's move on to another topic. This is the last sort of recap topic we'll do. Derek Henry. Uh, pretty good. The offense needs to run through him. No touches for Deion Lewis yesterday. Thumbs up. Derrick Henry's unbelievable. Like he he's legitimately a guy that you can build your entire offense around. And the Titans have kind of leaned towards that this season, but but they ha- I feel like they haven't fully committed, especially since they gave two, tu- two I just, touches. I just wish he had more value in the passing game. I, I, w- I would be all okay. in at this point if he did. He we say that, but he, he's caught passes the last few weeks. Like, And he's caught passes over the middle. He's caught swing passes. He's got screen passes. Like, 
very quietly over the since Tannehill's been quarterback, and I don't I don't know that ne- that necessarily has anything to do with it, but maybe it pulls a little bit of pressure off of him, and he doesn't hear footsteps as quick or whatever it is. But I don't know. I don't. It, it, I don't it's think just that he's, he's not. He's not. Quarterback. It's beyond the drops, though. He's not that great at pass protection. Like that's why Deion Lewis still got snaps yesterday, is because he is good at that, and he is. Like Deion's a great pass protector. But you know, when Dion was in his prime, he was a weapon in the passing game. Mm-hmm. Derek is never going to be that, and I I tend to believe that you need that sort of sixth receiver or that fifth receiver. Yeah, fifth. What am I saying? Six. That'd be twelve people on the field. That fifth receiver. That would be great in a run, <laughs> in a formation that has a running back. Yeah, but that's the thing is if that's what you want like he's shown that he can kind of be that like if you want him to stay in and block then no he might not be able to do that but i mean over the last four weeks he's caught a lot of i mean i think he's caught more passes over the last four weeks than he did over the first six not that that's necessarily a huge accomplishment but i mean either way like you know derrick henry's great He's always great in the winter. We've talked about his stats and how he does better, you know, in November and December than, you know, he does earlier in the season. They're just – I find it very hard to believe that they're going to re-sign him because he's going to get a lot of money somewhere else in free agency. And I just don't think Robinson's going to spend, you know, all that money on a guy when history shows that that never works out. Yeah, it is an interesting conversation, and we've had it before. I don't want to go into all that again, but we'll, we'll certainly start having it once the season rolls around. Something, you know, last year I wrote an article trying to uh, pinpoint how much a Kenny Vaccaro contract would cost, and that was really fun, and I like doing that stuff. But Vaccaro was really the only person I could do it for last year. So, But this year I'll get to do that for Logan Ryan and, and Henry. I don't know, they might extend Ryan before the end of the season, but... Yeah, I did. I did a Ryan and a Conklin one. I did a Conklin one today, but I did Ryan one earlier in the season. Those are fun for me. I've always considered yeah. like one of my areas of like expertise in the NFL is like the salary cap. I'm, and I tend to in that fall along those lines. Will of, of not extending running backs, but we'll see. I mean, you never know. It, it is a case by case kind of thing. Let's get into. Well, let's play our first game. Let, let's get that out of the way. Uh. Game number one we're going to play is, is Titans Trivia. We've, we've still got Stop the Nonsense. We've still got Worst Take of the Year. We're still going to look at the other AFC South teams and, and the Titans playoff picture. But let's play some Titans Trivia. So let's let's cue the music like we did last year when we did this on the Titans Size Podcast. <laughs> and how this is going to work is this. Each of us have three questions that we will pose to the other two. To answer the question, we have a Skype chat open. And whoever answers the question in the Skype chat first correctly wins. So you you, you get the answer, you get a point. So everybody oh. ha- has a chance at six points. Okay. Okay. So which team has beaten the Titans the most times in franchise history? Not since 1999. All time. Wow. Will got it. Ah! That's a good guess. Yeah, because... Uh, I don't know I if y'all know Colts. this, but it's because they used to be in, uh, I think, what was called the AFC Central. Is that right? And they used that, to be see, big that predates rivals. me by far. Yeah. I think they have <laughs> I mean, I think they like 43, 43 wins, and the next closest was like 37 or 38 or something like that. Or 45, I'm not sure. Which is just how many times we've lost the Colts in the last, like, 10 years. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, so I guess the Colts, because I figured you might have thrown that thing about like only since '99 as like a to throw us off. But since the Titans became the Titans, yeah, there have been five separate separate players with more than ten sacks in a season. In a single season, can you name those players? I think Stewart. I have four. Heavy is the head that wears the crown, Matias. I have three. One of them is definitely not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> one of them is Harold Landry. It's like with an asterisk. This is projected. Jarrell never had ten sacks. I don't think. Right? I don't think so. So the only difference y'all have is Matias has Carter and Luke has Jones, right? Yeah. Who's Jones? Was Jason Jones? Oh. Um. Is Kevin Carter y'all, not? Y'all both only have four. Oh my God! It's not Kevin Carter. No, Kevin Carter what did have it? ten sacks, by the way. Which oh, which it's is, not a rack bow then. But it's it's who more is the one you stole? No, from how me, could Matias? how could that be? You'll both have four Matias, and your only wrong, your only difference is Jones and Carter. So a rack bow, oh. Javon Kurt. Uh, I'll go. Th- I'll go through the order. Um, okay. Javon wait, wait, wait. Only name the ones that we got right, so that we still have a chance. Like, I am. Give us yeah. a hint or something. Yeah, I am. Okay. Uh, Javon Curse had fourteen point five and ninety nine. Who who was the Bad. one you couldn't remember that you got from me, Matias? Arakpo. Okay. So you did steal that one. So anyway, uh, Babin and Vandenbosch both had twelve point five. Uh, Vandenbosch also had a twelve another season because he was amazing. Curse had eleven point five uh, in two thousand. The year after he had fourteen point five. Brian Arakpo had ten and a half in yeah. two thousand sixteen. And I believe that's those are the ones you got. So, so I, I know Derek Morgan never had ten. I don't think Casey's had ten. No, it's Drew Casey. Uh, Drew oh, did have ten and a half in two thousand thirteen. I I was thinking back because that was his all pro year. Uh, yeah, I, remember I thought he, he had he nine flashed, for whatever reason. He that that's the ten uh, in the Colts game when he was in the dome. He flashes the that's ten. Right. Like, Hands up. That's Marcus Mariota had a perfect passer rating in his first career game, completing passes to six different receivers. Name those oh, six God. receivers. We've, oh we've done this. My so God. It's is it receivers or people who pass catchers? Any okay, position. Pass catchers. Okay. Uh so the two that you're will gets a point for that one. Woo. Due to I guess forfeit, maybe. Uh the who you're missing. So Kendall Wright, Delaney Walker, Bishop Sankey. That's who you had. Here's who's here, here's who you're missing. Anthony Fasano. Oh, Justin Hunter, Harry Douglas. Oh, Harry Douglas, because he threw that screen oh, to Harry him and he got blown Douglas. up. <laughs> Always think back to bad screen passes with yeah, the Titans. Throughout, yeah. throughout the Titans' history, like refer to bad screen passes. Oh, God. All right, M- Matias, you're back up. Okay. Well, apparently I should have done top five, but I only did by one. So... <laughs> Who has the most quarterback hits in Titans history? Quarterback hits? Yes. Who's hit the quarterback the most times? Go ahead. I I guess Derek Morgan. Oh, you're right. Wow. Yeah, like once you said like that he hadn't played long enough, I guess that is true. Morgan played for like 50 uninterrupted years. I mean, he played his whole career with the Titans. Yeah. Okay, this one's just a one, like a one answer. Okay. Uh, Okay. Okay, uh, since the Titans became a franchise, since, yeah. you know, 19, I know, uh, which player has been targeted 10 or more times that has the highest catch percent? 
<laughs> no, no. Oh, guess. really? Yeah, that's a good guess. Michael Pruitt. <laughs> I don't think oh he's had God, that many targets. I don't think he I hits the qualifier. This doesn't count, but I oh, it's Ferk. It it's Ferk. Matias, you can't guess and say this doesn't count. He said when you it know. though. He said it though. He said yeah. It, it is Anthony Ferkser. Yes. Uh, he caught obviously he caught Duh. nineteen of twenty targets last year. Uh, it's ninety five percent catch percentage is the most by any player at any position in Titans history. This one is a bit of an easier question. This one's probably going to be more of a race. Ken Wisenhunt won three games in his coaching career with the Titans with three different starting quarterbacks. Name those starting quarterbacks. Yeah, I've got two of them. Uh, I have two. I don't know the last one. So this is hard. I thought this would be an easy one. Uh, I mean, it like it is, uh, but it's also like just deceptive enough where I'm like, I know it wasn't that guy because he sucks. And I'm like, surely it wasn't that guy because he also sucks. Mariota and Whitehurst, who both of you guess are yeah. correct answers. Right. You're each missing one. Oh my! Castle wasn't on the team. Fitz was not either. Fitz oh, was that... a Loggins player. Castle was a John Robinson signing. Was was this 2015 or 2016? Uh I won't answer that. Yeah, oh. he's not at liberty to say Matias. <laughs> that just looked through the rosters. Just kidding. It's not. Oh my goodness, guys. It's not Rusty Smith, dude. It's not no. Mettenberger. It's not Mettenberger. He never won a game. This is so, the this is the one I thought would be obvious, other than Marcus. Jake Locker. What? How was he his coach and Mariota's coach? Oh, I, I... Jake Locker was the starter in Kansas City in Wizenhunt's very first game when they blew out the Chiefs. Oh, okay. All right, Matias, start us okay. the final round. Who is the Titans' all-time scoring leader? All-time. Oh, Del Greco. <laughs> I meant Del Greco, not Del Greco. I know. Yeah, you're right. It's Del Greco. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. See, I don't well remember him at So I'm How at three, three and a half. Will, you have oh, to get oh. my final question. Oh, okay. What if I get it? Ha! Just kidding. Uh, I, guess, I guess I'll ask mine. What, um... Yeah, I guess I'll ask mine, and only Matias can answer. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so since uh, I'll do it like this. I was going to narrow it down farther, but I think this is a better way to do it. Uh, since the Titans have been the Titans, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven different quarterbacks have had a touchdown percentage of 5% or more. What does that mean? Uh, it means that 5% of your throws uh, end up in touchdowns. Okay. Is there a threshold for this like there was with the catches? Oh, uh, no, but I can tell you that they all played in at least uh, at least six games. That's not, okay. not going to help you as much as you think it will, but it's not like a, it's not like a sneaky like punter. To, okay. Like, throw a pass yeah. Or How many quarterbacks uh, is this seven. again? One, two, three, four, five, six. Six, seven. So Tannehill's not one of them because you said at least six games. I said they played in at least six games. Tannehill hasn't played in six games. Well, you say that, but uh, he did take a knee in one game. 
Is Tannehill on the list? Okay, it appears so. Oh, I mean, I, I, how would I know? I mean, really, it's not, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not at liberty to say. You said seven? Yeah, there's seven. In general, if you can name seven Titans quarterbacks, I'm <laughs> impressed. Five of the ones that you had, I have right now. Mm. So I added Ryan Fitzpatrick and Jake Locker. Yeah, you have six. Young is one of the seven. He ah, actually leads yes. with 6.4. So who's uh, the seventh that neither one of us got? Uh, the seventh is Neil O'Donnell. Oh. Wow, okay. Yeah. Yes, yes. He played eight games and, you know, Go. it was no, so, so I win, right? Yeah. You did win. Let's, real fast, b- before we get into bad takes and then stop the nonsense, the AFC South, I think the pecking order is pretty clear at this point. I think it's Texans 1, Colts 2, Titans 3, Jaguars 4. Do you think it's going to shake out that way? Uh, pro. I don't know. I really, I cannot understand what the what this Titans team is. I still think the Texans are the best team in the division. I, I think they have the best quarterback play. Their defense is kind of overachieving right now, uh, and they have a lot of good weapons. So I still think they're going to win win the AFC South. I think the Colts. I don't know. It's going to depend on Brissett's health, but even before Brissett went down, they were kind of trending downwards a little bit. So, I think I think we're going to end up second in this division. I think the Colts are going to end up third, and the Jaguars just don't have enough, and they'll probably finish last. So we're doing AFC South like order ranking. Sorry, I yeah. missed that. Uh, so. It's tough because I, I don't. Which teams are we getting? Like, I mean, as they well, are. Well, that's right kind now, of the question. Who do you yeah, think like, you're going to get? Yeah. So, I think based off what we've seen to this point and what we know about the Titans and you know where Tannehill is and how much he's made the offense better um, over the past four games, they're the. Uh, they're scoring 26.5 or 23.5 points per game. I don't know what the exact number is, but I know it would come out to uh, ninth best in the NFL if it was extrapolated over the whole season. So um, that that gives me some hope. The defense looks worse, but you know, as as it gets colder, it, it's going to be a lot more run game, a lot more quicker games, and it looks like the Titans are going to get healthy at the right time. I just have this feeling that Deshaun Watson is going to get hurt. I mean, good, bad, whatever. Like, it's what we've seen from him so many times. Like, they're asking him to do so much. He's having to run so much. Even if he's not taking as many sacks, he's running more. And he's getting hit with the ball in his hands. And he's getting kicked in the face. And his eyes swelling up. And all these things that slowly build him, build over and over and over again. You know, Tunsil has been fine. The rest of the offensive line has been also bad. Like, I mean, I just, I just think the other shoe's going to drop sooner than later. So if that happens, I don't think they win another game. I don't think they're that talented. I think they just have a dynamic quarterback who's not afraid to just rip the ball to Will Fuller deep when he's healthy or to Nuke Hopkins. Um, but if everybody's healthy, they're the top team. Then I think 
the Titans and Colts alternate second and third, but I would give the Titans the nod just because, even though I don't think we would ever win a head-to-head with them because we never do, uh, I just think that from top to bottom, the Titans are a better team, and with the little mini-collapse that the Dol- that uh, the Colts have had losing to the Dolphins and the Steelers back-to-back weeks, like it makes me a lot less enamored with uh, the coaching staff and the offensive yeah. line because it doesn't look like... I mean, when you see Matt Moore go in for Kansas City and he puts up points like he did against the Vikings, and then you see Brian Hoyer, who's probably a pretty fair comp for uh, Matt Moore, and like when he goes in and he can't put together like two touchdown drives against the Miami Dolphins, who have one of the worst defenses in the NFL, like that's, that's a problem. And T.Y. Hilton's also injured. So... I think Jacksonville stays at the bottom of the division, so I guess if I was ranking it, it would be Houston, Tennessee, Indianapolis, Jacksonville. Uh, But, you know, I think maybe a game and a half or two games separates the bottom from the top, especially if Watson gets hurt. I think they could just immediately hit the bottom. So, I mean, that's my order right now, but it could change literally week to week. Well, I think there's one big question that that I think will answer – like the answer to this question is going to decide the division. I'm going to tell you what that question is after a quick word from our sponsors. That'll take about 30 seconds. So, so listen to that. And then I'm going to tell you the one question, the answer to which will decide the AFC South. So the, the question that's going to decide the AFC South is this. The Titans are a more talented team than the Colts, right? Right? Mm-hmm. Correct. The Colts are a better coached team than the Titans. Right? Yes. Here's, here's what's going to answer whether the Titans can can stack up to the top. Can Mike Vrabel outcoach the median average? But but he's got more talent than, than, uh, than Frank Reich, so he doesn't have to be better than Frank Reich. He just can't kill the team. And I think the answer to that question of can Mike Vrabel coach above the median, which he has some this year and he has not some this year, <laughs> That's going to decide the Titans' fate more than anything, I think. Mm, okay, so we've already seen him get outcoached by Frank Reich this year. But that was with Mariota quarterback, and yeah. Luke, me and you have pretty much agreed that with Tannehill at quarterback, the Titans probably win that Colts game. Mm-hmm. But that Colts game was at home. And it really could have gone either way. So I don't know. I I really don't. I still don't trust Mike. Well, the Grable. Titans beat Bur- the Titans sacked Brissett like nine times in Indy two years ago. So it's not an improbable thing. No, no, it wouldn't be. And I think if Tannehill keeps playing like this, I, I think I think we will end up with a better record than the Colts, and I, I think we have a good shot of beating them in Indianapolis if that continues to happen. Let's talk about. Before we get into the actual stop the nonsense segment, our worst preseason takes, opinions, views, beliefs, otherwise on the Titans. Will, if yours does not involve Marcus Mariota. No, I think I was spot on about that. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> I was wrong. No, uh, do you want me to go ahead and go first? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, okay, so back in, I think, July. I wrote an article uh, that was like the five final thoughts on the Tennessee Titans offense before camp. 
And my final point was, you know, the show must go on with or without Marcus Mariota, but it'll go on longer with him. And the whole crux of that was that my understanding of everything we'd been told, this was back when Vrabel was lying and Arthur Smith was lying and they were telling us that, you know, they got a slot receiver to use a slot receiver and not to use jumbo tight ends and useless like fullbacks and stuff like that. So the idea was that the offense was going to be, you know, modernized and it was going to be a three wide receiver set. We were going to see a lot of AJ Brown and Corey Davis. And that was the idea. And so in that article, I wrote that if Tannehill comes out and looks good in the preseason, that it didn't matter because the Titans were probably going to roll with Mariota if he was average or above, which I mean, depending on how much you like Tannehill or whatever, like it seems like that just isn't something that Mariota hit. But I thought what would happen is the Titans would look to trade Tannehill at the deadline if they were doing good and if Mariota looked healthy and that he would show his worth in the preseason and that ultimately what that did is it gave him a layer of protection until they got to the like to the trade deadline and then they could decide what to do from there. But as we all know, they switched quarterbacks and – you know, have been better off for it. So, you know, if if I could rewrite this knowing what we know now, I would obviously say that Tannehill should be starting from the beginning, and that's just something that we, that I at the very least was completely wrong about before the season. And I still fully believe that Mariota will go somewhere and will at least flash some of the same things that he did in Tennessee. But the idea that Tannehill wasn't a better quarterback in this, at least in this system and as of, you know, October and November 2019 like he just is a better quarterback than Marcus Mariota right now so that's that's my worst take of the year as I'm sure many of you would have guessed here's mine I thought that we were surely going to see a Corey Davis breakout this year based on what we had seen in training camp like you said Will some of the things that we 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 seemed to, to have gotten promised by the Titans uh I thought that Corey Davis was going to become uh, a go-to guy and a very productive and, and, and physically dominant receiver. And he is having a objectively subpar season to this point. He has, I know he's, he's missed a game, uh, but in the games that he's played, he's been virtually absent. I think he has maybe one touchdown I can think of like one or two plays that he's made all year. Uh, I know the quarterback has some to do with it. I know the play caller has some to do with it. There's some operator error going on there. But other than that, I haven't seen much of anything from Corey Davis. Yeah, I, I also thought Corey Davis was, was going to have a big year, and he's pretty much turned into Zach Pascal, so that's pretty cool. Hey, man. Uh, my Sorry, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know how many bad takes I had in the off season. There was <laughs> there were a bunch, but I thought Delaney Walker was going to come back from injury, surrounded by all these great weapons, and he was going to have a career season. Uh, granted, that was pretty short sighted considering he was coming back from a major injury and he's thirty five years old. But he's having I know he's injured right now, but even before then, he was having probably his worst season as a tight end ever so I was completely wrong about that and yeah I also thought Corey Davis was was gonna have a big year and, and that has not happened at all 
Isn't it funny, though, that all three of our choices came on offense? Right? We put way too much trust in Arthur Smith, didn't we? And that that was my second choice. If I didn't pick Davis, I was going to say I I had confidence in Arthur Smith. Yeah. Yeah, that's that that was my like go to as well. If I went second behind the Tannehill or behind the Tannehill Mariota stuff is I remember writing about how there's no way that Robinson would sign off on giving so much money to Humphreys to be a slot receiver if he wasn't gonna be a major part of the game. And like I wrote like how that was such a good and like important piece of information because it showed that do you do you remember when we were promised that Arthur Smith had a foot in the run game and the passing game because he was a tight ends coach and how it's like he would realize how to marry the two concepts and how to best get space for the running backs while also being intelligent on how to like run passing plays. Like the big selling point to him being a tight ends coach was that he had, you know, a foot in both camps and he really knew how to work the offense. And then all we got was jumbo, like two tight end sets for the first two months of the season. Yes. Tajay Sharp over Adam Humphreys and all these other things like it's no knock to Tajay Sharp. Tajay Sharp's been really good, especially on like the sideline routes he runs and in the red zone with Tannehill. Like it's not a knock on him. It's the knock on him or the knock on the whole thing is what we saw on Sunday where Adam Humphreys can shake really tight coverage, make a great throw and immediately burst up the field and get a touchdown when you need it most because he's just a more electrifying player and it's almost like they accidentally used him correctly in the biggest play of the game. So, I mean, I, that was my other big take is just how bad Arthur Smith has been and how blatantly we were lied to in the beginning of the season. I'm looking up the Titans' schedule right now as we close out the episode before getting to stop the nonsense. Um, we usually do go a little longer for our, our, our bi-week extravaganzas. Uh, I want to close out with a prediction of the Titans' record out of the bye week. They're 5-5 five and five right now, right at 500. They've got six games left. Home versus Jacksonville. Road. Let, let's just go through these. Home versus Jacksonville. I say this is a loss for the Titans. No. Really? That's a win. That's a win. It's yeah. just, it feels like the kind of game that they come out and sleepwalk through. Ramsey's gone. And Tannehill's a quarterback, some stability there. I, I I think the Titans win this game. Yeah, Vrabel doesn't lose games where he has time to prepare. But that that is a good point, Will. But I'm just afraid that we're going to get another repeat of, instead of Jameel Douglas, it's going to be Calais Campbell abusing Nate Davis and Josh Allen still abusing Jack Conklin. Right. Well, that, I mean... That that may happen, but at the same time, you'll also have Lawan, and they also won't have Ramsey. So yeah. those are two fairly large chess pieces. I guess so. Um, also, like I, I, I hear what you're saying, but it's at home, and I think the Titans kind of sleepwalked into the week two after beating, or, or into the week three after beating the the Browns so badly and then playing that super hot game and then having a short week like it was also Minshew mania we were in yeah the middle of it like all. it was such a weird like time because <laughs> you're always at a disadvantage when you travel uh on, on a Thursday short week games. yeah yeah and it was a brutally hot like 100 degree weather like everybody was soaked in the it's raining 
Yeah, well, I mean, no, I mean like the week before with the Colts game. So it's like you're extra drained. It went tooth and nail until the very last minute. Like Mariota played one of the worst games of his career. Yeah, and A.J. Brown had that weird, like, pass deflection interception or whatever that thing was. Um, Nobody played well in that game. And then, oh, were you talking about in the Jacksonville game? So, yeah, like, Mariota did not play well at all. He clearly got shook early, and, like, the Titans had no – no plan. And also Derrick Henry wasn't running very well and they were still trying to do the Deion Lewis split. So hopefully they see, okay, it's November. It's time to ride Derrick Henry and they get back to what works, which is Derrick Henry versus the Jaguars. So that's a lot of time to spend. Yeah. On this game. I think, I think they win it just because history shows that they usually beat the Jaguars late in the year. So I'm outvoted two to one. Let's say they're six and five after that game. Titans at Colts. This one I would be more confident in than the Jaguars, honestly. But I can't trust this team on the road. I think it's a loss. I think it's a loss. I I will never trust the Titans to beat the Colts again until until I see So let's say 6-6 because I think we can all agree, regardless of how it goes, they'll be 6-6 after those two games. Titans at Raiders. I think that is a game that the Titans pretty easily win. I wouldn't say easily. But I think I, the Raiders I, will try to rough it up, and that those are yeah. the teams that the Titans usually kind of expose. I, I think we're a good matchup for them because they're more ground dominant, and our run defense is really good. Yeah, it is. And their secondary is terrible, so Tannehill could definitely have some success in that game. I, I, I think we yeah, Corey win. Davis will be fully healthy, obviously by that point. Right. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I mean, se- I seven and six think. after a week, mm-hmm. uh, whatever week that is. Texans at Titans. I think that's a win for the Titans. What? It's a loss. I think they lose. You think they're going to lose both times against the Texans? Because I think they'll lose in Houston in the last week of the season, but I do not see them losing to Houston at home. I think Houston rests their starters in week 17. Oh, my God. That'll be a game that the Titans are amped up for at home, division rival, probably coming off a win against the Raiders. It just seems like the kind of game that, the formula is there for a win. Okay. Fair enough. I, I've been over. Yeah, it, it does also help that they don't have JJ Watt. They're completely decimated with injuries in the secondary. It's the first time they've had to play Tannehill. Like if, if they're riding the momentum of Tannehill and they've only lost two games and they're like four and two or something like that, or, or five and two or whatever it would be under Tannehill, like, Plus, you're late in the season with Derrick Henry. Like, I, I can see that being a good formula to win. But I think they split with the Texans one way or another. So I agree with that. I don't think they'll lose both. But but I don't. I just don't see them losing, winning in Houston. Hasn't happened in like nine years. Um, yeah. I mean, okay. Saints at Saints? Titans. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, okay. So it let's feels like the that. Chiefs game, though. Well, right. The the Saints historically do not play as well outside of their dome. They just don't. And yeah. it's going to be a cold-weather game. It'll probably be kind of a wet, like heavy air, cold game. They just got beaten up by the Falcons, so we don't know what kind of re- like repercussions that Well, that's a division that game, and those you can tend to throw out the window. Yeah, but it wasn't like they lost like 21 to 20. It was like they got their asses whooped. Like they lost like 20-something to 9, and they were like, never close to being in control of that game. So no, no. It was also, very weird. They got dominated. Yeah, and Kamara's been hurt all year. 
and yeah. like in and out of the lineup. And uh, Lattimore just had a hamstring injury pop up, and he's week to week. So, I mean, if they've got ten wins and they've secured their playoff by the time, I'm not sure I would play a banged up Kamara and a banged up. Lattimore in the cold outside. Well, if, you're, if you're the Tennessee. Saints, your goal is first round bye and home field advantage. Because they're yeah. the best team in the NFC. Uh, yeah. Well, they're not the best team in this NFC. That's the uh, 49ers. Uh, I think the Saints would beat the 49ers. But... I don't know right now. Not after this week. Yeah. I- yeah, well, like that—that's we can have that discussion in the NFC Championship game, which should be both of them. But like, I, I think a high-flying aerial offense against the Titans in cold weather versus the run-heavy Titans offense yeah. m- may be the perfect formula for one of those late-season kind of like steal a win uh-huh. to make Week 17 important for the Titans. I mean, look, regardless. We're looking at best case scenario nine and seven probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you, yeah. So if you think they lose to the Colts, which I think we all kind of agree, and if they're going to split with the Texans, that puts them at nine and seven best case. I think they're going eight and eight. From I mean, good to mediocre. It, it right. just feels like poetic. For this to be just another what if season seven. for the Titans, like yeah, where they're nine and seven, where Four we spend another off season where we're like, oh man, if we just would have started Tannehill, oh man, if Mariota was just healthy, oh man, right. if Derrick Henry was the starter the whole season, oh man, like we do it every single year, and it's always one clear thing that was poorly coached in the beginning of the year that finally gets adjusted, or some freak injury happens and knocks us out. So, I mean. It, it feels so poetic for Mike Brabel's whole message to be going from good to great and then for them ultimately to be in the exact same spot. And, you know, the two probably the biggest rallying points for the Titans over the last three years in Mariota and Taylor Lewan to now be like controversial figures and one of them's on their way out. So, like, that feels like a very, like, this is – the best case of a worst case scenario kind of situation. Here's a what if for you. What if the Titans had traded their first and second round picks to the Dolphins in 2012 and had drafted Tannehill? We, uh, he wouldn't be on this team right now. Yeah, we would have <laughs> traded him for a fourth round pick, and we would, <laughs> we would be tanking for Tua. Hey, well, I mean, I don't know. I would rather have Ryan Tannehill than the combo of Kendall Wright and Zach Brown. Pro Bowler Zach Brown, how dare you? Yeah, I was going to say. Uh, <laughs> Pro Bowler Zach Brown, who no one wants ever. I know, it's crazy. Dude, yeah, people hate him. He's, he's really <laughs> unlikable. Um, let's close out the show, guys, as we always do with our Stop the Nonsense segment where we look at, you know, I, it, it's become just dumb stuff. It used to be sports world, but, I mean, mine's not sports world today. So who wants to start? Well, I think you're due to start. Yeah, I'll start. Uh, So mine is sports world. It's much smaller. Uh, It's not – so some of you all probably follow, I mean, or at least know of Titans Homer online. 
he's he's great. This is not something he said that's stupid, but he posted something this morning after PFF started releasing their grades that said weekly reminder that Saffold had responsibility for two sacks and got credit for neither from PFF. So there's going to be a point in the off season where it, and this is a preemptive and a post stop the nonsense. So bear with me, but uh, there's going to be I was about a point to say, this isn't just your, your truth segment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is not my soapbox, but um, there's going to be a point in the off season where we get all these articles about, you know, so-and-so's regressed on the Titans offensive line and so-and-so's good. It doesn't, let me tell you, you can tell right now you don't need PFF to see the offensive line. If you just pay attention, there's three good offensive line and that's, Lawan, Conklin, and Ben Jones. The other, like, Saffold has struggled heavily. Nate Davis and whoever is playing right guard have struggled heavily. No matter what those, no matter what PFF tells you to think, don't be one of those people that goes back to this and says, "Yeah, but look about, look at what PFF said about this sack, like who it should have been attributed to, and all that." It's 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 easier than that. Just go watch it. It'll take you ten seconds. And this is my stop the nonsense for everybody who's going to at me or at other people and bring up meaningless stats from people who barely glossed over the film, you know, six weeks from now. Or I think that's our first preemptive, as you mentioned, stop the nonsense. Yeah. It will. It's it. And it stems from so many of this, of these stupid retweets and stuff I get where people, you know, are, are so insistent that you watch the film, and then when you ask them what they see, they say, "Well, PFF said that it was so and so's fault." That they, when we know that PFF does not know whose assignment it is to block people, they've said it, and you know the players have said that that you know they've gone through and said that was actually this or that. So don't put just because you don't know how to like scout offensive linemen or pay attention to offensive linemen, don't rely on somebody else who also doesn't know. Good point. Pro football focus. Yeah. Never never, never the best option. Uh, here's mine. In my hometown of Columbia, Tennessee, there was a Popeyes incident over the weekend. At like 5 p.m., 6 p.m., the Popeyes on Nashville Highway, uh, if you're from Columbia, you know where that is, was under fire because a woman of 55 years of age walks in, says something, she's accused of, of saying a racial slur, has a confrontation with the desk worker or the the, the, the clerk at the counter. Uh, that video is all over Twitter. You can find it. Whether she said a racial slur or not, I don't know. But th- these two people have a screaming match in which this man demands that she slap him. Slap me, please, I believe were his words. I want you to slap me. The woman eventually decides that she's going to leave this Popeye's. Probably a, a good choice. Her story, by the way, through her lawyers, is that she uh, uh, she went back in to get a refund because she had gotten double charged. So anyway, she goes, she goes back into the Popeye's, uh, or leaves leaves the Popeye's. She is out the door, and this man that she has just had a screaming match with. Keep in mind, this is a frail fifty-five-year-old woman. This burly twenty-nine-year-old follows her out, picks her up. And body slams her onto the pavement. And according to the Tennessean, she suffered from five elbow fractures, six broken ribs, or maybe those numbers are backwards. One of them was six, one of them was five. 
and a broken leg. She spent the weekend in the intensive care unit at Vanderbilt. Uh, and our friend, the 29-year-old who did this, spent his weekend in the Murray County jail system. So, I don't know what happened. I don't know if she said a racial slur or not. I don't know why he was so upset. I don't know why she was really there. Regardless, stop. Why is, is, if you did say a racial slur, lady, why did you go into a chicken restaurant to say a racial slur? If you did not say a racial slur, why are, are we body slamming older women onto the pavement and nearly killing them? If she did say a racial slur, why are we body slamming older women onto the pavement and nearly killing them? Like, there's really no defense either way for anyone's actions in this and stirring this up. Go watch the videos if you like WWE, because this is WWE, like, non-scripted. Uh... It just stopped the nonsense. Like, I don't really know what happened, but those videos were just very concerning for the uh, the, the human race. And, and especially for uh, Popeyes that I went to high school about 10 minutes from. Yeah, that was terrible. It, it really was. And sticking to uh, the topic of racism, I engaged <laughs> yes. in, in, blatant, <laughs> in blatant racism yesterday <laughs> during the game. Because Tannehill threw a touchdown to Anthony Ferkser, uh diving catch, great catch. I quickly saw it and then immediately went to Twitter. Racial profiling. And, and tweeted, <laughs> Tanny to hump for six because I totally thought it was Adam Humphreys. Uh, that's on me. That's my fault. <laughs> I, I blatantly disrespected Anthony Ferkser and also just assumed it was Humphrey because Ferkser is white. Just kidding. I I mean, well, no, I kind of did, but I don't know <laughs> that man. part's true. That, that seemed like a catch that that Humphrey I honest, would make. Like honestly, Matthias, I like I knew it when it happened, uh, but I I forgot and had to be reminded after the game that the game-winning touchdown was to Humphreys, right? Not to Ferkser. <laughs> I was gonna tweet like, "Oh, great catch by Anthony Ferkser on the game-winning touchdown," but nobody would have gotten it. So not, it? not yeah, that would have been really funny. Uh, not racial profiling, but uh, Tony Romo and Jim Nance, who were calling the game yesterday, said that it was uh, Nicole Pruitt for. Oh yeah, I saw that. Minutes. Like, did, like they <laughs> were like, "What a catch by like Pruitt!" Those guys. Yeah, they were like, "What a catch by Pruitt! Pruitt, what a good catch! Look at the sprout by Pruitt." Good job, Pruitt. Like, think, are you serious? Yeah, that came happened. Back to commercial break, and they were like, "Ah, it was a touchdown pass to Anthony." Uh, what they say, Fersker. They they didn't even say the name right, and I was like, what "Which is, is rare happening? for those top crews? Like, at least give yeah. them a break. That's not like <laughs> that's not a pattern for them." Yeah, no. But also later in the game, and this is understandable, but Tony Romo was like, "Josh Kalu blocked the kick," and then uh, Jim Nance was like. It was a good block by Kalu, and like it was like I don't know if that's what the like the flip card says, like the like the pronunciation guide or whatever. But like it was like hold up, I actually have, have yeah, things that you, I have the Titans have. pronunciation guide right next to me. Let me pull it up. But like it it was like they had never seen like they didn't have any idea of phonics or like anything like that. Like they didn't they couldn't read correctly, and then they also didn't even care about it not being. Pr- I mean like. They didn't know Ferkser existed. Like they, they thought there was only an eighty-six or an eighty-five. There wasn't both. But right, Titans pronunciation guide. 
Uh, Josh Kalu is not on the pronunciation guide. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> um, luckily, Dane Brugler uh, always has pronunciations for his players, I believe. Uh, yeah, it's pronounced Kalu. Uh, I looked at I looked at his scouting report up earlier. By the uh, way, he had a fifth round grade on Joshua Kalu from Nebraska. So just another job what, where uh, Dane Brugler is well, the most important uh, draft analyst to follow. While I'm looking at this pronunciation guide, Tajay Tajay it says is T A H, so Ta and then dash uh, yeah. Z H A Y. Tajay Tajay. Taze? 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 This is this is important. I need you to figure. Let me let me also phonetically. What does Z H do? Phonetic Z Z H A Y. It's Z. Okay. So Taze. Once again, I'm going to my 2016 draft guide from. We're going to howtopronounce.com for this. She. Oh J, yes, it's J. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. his, it's this. I was about to say, I'm like, we haven't. I'm like his name can't be Taze. Like, right. <laughs> with the J in the middle, like, is it a silent yeah. J? I cannot, I cannot say how impressive it is that like Brugler does this for a million people, but it does say Taj dash A, so Taj A, not Taze, <laughs> not Taze, which is how I've always pronounced it. What a guy. Okay. Also, the the ambiguous name on this is always Dane Krukshank. C R O O K. Is it Crook or Crook? You would think it would be a U if it was Crook, right? I don't know. Crook. I mean, the word Crook, like a criminal, is spelled C R O O K. Crookshank. I think it's Crook. Crookshank. They should spell it with a Q. It should be C R Crookshank. <laughs> Uh, it, it, like this is a topic for another time. I forgot we're still recording, but yeah. Well, I mean, it's the bi-week extravaganza, sort of anything. That's goes. right. Extravaganza. Uh, we'll be back next week for a normal episode where we don't go <laughs> off the rails and do trivia. Uh, we'll be back to just preview. We won't have anything really to recap, so we'll just be looking ahead to the Jacksonville Jaguars. What fun that should be! Um, <laughs> until then. Uh, for Matthias and Will, I'm Luke. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the bye week. Some time away from the Titans. I heard a uh, one of the Titans uh, media members say the other day, he's like, I kind of need a break from writing, and I think these fans on Twitter need a break from reading. So <laughs> take a break. Uh, we'll be back next week, and I'm going to remind you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. 
Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.